Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the 90 Min Podcast. Uh, I'm Chris Dealey and we're a reduced crew today. We lost Aidan Cusick, a deadline day announcement that he was going to uh, Sheffield Wednesday tonight. It, it is only to watch the match against Burnley, but it still counts. Per, I am joined as ever by senior correspondents Jamie Spencer. Hello. And Scott Saunders. Happy February, everybody. Happy February indeed. We've got a special treat for you this week, courtesy of our friends at p302.co.uk. You might remember we've talked about them before on the Christmas Present podcast. They've got in touch and actually offered some uh, some freebies for you, lovely lot who listen to the podcast. So keep listening to the end and keep glued to the uh, 90 Min Twitter account. That's at 90 Min underscore football for more details on that over the next week or so. And if it wasn't already obvious, we are going to be talking about the about the transfer window, about deadline day in general. Um, did did everyone enjoy Jim White Day? Oh God, it's it's getting tedious now, isn't it? It it's just I know uh, Jamie's had had his bit bit to say on this, but it's it's grating on me now too. I can't really. Uh, I used to be able to sit through Sky Sports News coverage of it of deadline day, but it's just turned into a kind of a circus. It's quite tedious. I think the issue is that they they still need to create the spectacle when there's no content to fill their time with. That's the problem. You know, yesterday they were talking about Saida Berahino from morning till night when it was plainly obvious he wasn't going anywhere, but that didn't really fit their narrative for the day. So it is frustrating. It's a circus. It's a farce. It's a joke. And it used to be really good because it was like the place that you would go for your deadline day updates and news. And now it's just a case of, you know, like the presenters are more famous and more important than the actual stuff that they're reporting on. Certainly in the case of Jim White, anyway. Right, anyway, we've managed, we've managed to avoid the football so far. But there were deals that went through, eventually, a couple of them. Any deals from Deadline Day that stood out in particular to you two? Uh, well, for me, probably you'd have to look at the top of the list. I mean, Gianelli and Bula's moved to Stoke. Stoke have broken the transfer record for the second time in, what, six months? From what I've seen of him, uh, he's looked a very Premier League player. Um, I think he can, it might take him a little while to bed in, but I believe that he's got all the attributes to really make a name for himself in the division. I mean, he's got a good all-round game. He can pretty much do it all in midfield. Stoke are really building a team, quite a fashionable team. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of... Uh... Kind of bizarre, you know. They're literally, I'd say, a striker away from being better than Liverpool. Are Stoke not already better than Liverpool? <laughs> and a tentative question. Well, I don't think there's that much of a difference between the two in terms of quality, which I think says something about, well, it might say more about how Liverpool have uh, kind of slid down the table rather than how Stoke have improved. Although they're both there, but I think with the with the signing of Imbula, with the... You know, with the Shakiri, Marko Arnautovic and the rest of it. I think the way Stoke are going, you'd have to be quite disappointed if you're a Stoke fan, Stoke player involved with the club and they don't seriously, seriously challenge for European football. I mean, they're ninth in the league at the moment. You know, when you're spending 20 million on a midfielder, nearly 20 million on a midfielder to you know strengthen your core, when you're bringing in players of the quality that they're bringing in, you know, ninth place is a little disappointing, really. I think it is and it isn't at the same time because you've got the players that they've had have sort of needed a little bit of time to settle in. You know, Shakiri's played a few good games since he arrived in the summer, but he's not had... He's had injuries as well, so he's not had a consistent, consistent run. And you've got um, Boyan, who's come back off a 
a long-term injury at the start of the season and others as well that they just they've not had that run of games maybe together as a team that would push them into the, the higher reaches of the table so maybe it's just something that you'll see next season and beyond more when it comes together a little bit more when they settle into it when they've got a little bit more of an understanding and a rhythm then then maybe they will um move up to that next sort of bracket yeah and i think you might be right it is obviously it feels like a long time but it's early in the early in the development from kind of mid-table cloggers to real European contenders. Saying that, though, it, it is quite congested in there. I mean, we're, we're recording this before they play Man United at Old Trafford on Tuesday night, and they are ninth in the table, but equally, they're three points off sixth. So it's, it's very congested in the middle, in the middle of the, in the, middle of the table. They're, they're one point behind Liverpool as well. And there's just, that's the way the transfer window has been this, or, or last month. A lot of clubs from the mid to lower reaches of the table have been buying big, buying players, in Mbula's case, who are probably Champions League quality. And it's it's making the playing field a lot more even than it, than it always has been before. Yeah, and I mean, this is something we've talked about, touched on previously, with um, that kind of quality coming lower down in the uh, lower down in the Premier League, almost taking it away from the bigger clubs, which is why you see, you know, your Arsenal, your Man City, not necessarily not at the top of the table because obviously they're they're right there but they're struggling for points and struggling for results more than ever before uh, and obviously struggling in the Champions League as well because if you if your league's mid-table teams are draining the quality then you're going to struggle against teams like Barcelona and Real Madrid who kind of do have the monopoly in Spain just uh, to go back to another point about Amuli, you mentioned earlier that it was the uh, best part of 20 million. There's been something that I can't really get on board with. I've heard a few people describe it as like a, the signing of the window and like a huge bargain for Stoke. But um, that, to me, is a little bit misguided and a little bit wrong, to be honest, because 18 million is not that much compared to the big, big fees. But if you're a club like Stoke, you spend 18 million, that's 6 million more. 50% more than their last transfer record. So that is a huge, huge outlay for Stoke. I don't think it's anything like a bargain. It's it's a massive statement of intent, but it's it comes with a gamble as well. You know, like 18 million is not a lot because if you're a club like Man United or Arsenal or City and you spend that much, that's just like an everyday squad player. But um, it's a big statement for Stoke. But I'm just, I wonder, I know you've said, Scott, that he's a, he's a good player and I don't not believe you because... I've not seen too much of him, but um, it just makes me wonder a little bit. I mean, it is a big statement, a lot of money, because he's he's relatively unproven. He's only 23, so he's not been around for that long. You would have to question why Porto were willing to sell him after just half a season. Like, what was it that didn't go right there? You know, because it's not like they made a profit on him or anything. They sold him for about, it was about the same, 20 million euros, 80 million pounds. It was not a dissimilar price. So it wasn't like Stoke came in and blew them out of the water with this can't refuse offer. So you just question what perhaps, why it didn't work out? Is it a little bit of a gamble? Is it, is there more to be seen than people are perhaps looking at? And I'm not saying that he's a bad player because I don't know, but I just think maybe we should temper our expectations. He's not something going to make Stoke world class. Oh, is he not? I'm disappointed. I was I was just ready for that. <laughs> no, I mean I, th- I think you're right. There's always you, you've always got to look beneath the surface of just is this guy a good player? Can we get him for the money? Because you know you can bet your bottom dollar the club will look a lot deeper than that. You know players get sold for a reason. But talking of players who have come in relatively expensively, who um, people in this country might not have seen a great deal of. Everton yesterday bought um, Umar Nyasse. He's coming to Goodison for, uh, what, 13.5 million. Everton usefully actually releasing the fee for once. From Locomotive Moscow, if you just take it on 
things that he's done on, on playing stats. He won the uh, Russian Premier League Player of the Year 2015. He scored, what, 12 goals already this season, I think. Um, Some like eight in the league and four in the Europa League. Yeah, he's, he's got some he's got some good numbers. I'll admit to not checking out the Russian Premier League particularly frequently. And my question would be whether Everton actually need him. They've scored more goals this season than any team outside the top four. And they've conceded, obviously as we're recording this, uh, conceded more goals than anyone in the top three quarters of the table. <laughs> There's a question of priorities here. Taking that on, I think I think it's more of a long-term buy. We all know how uh, Romelu Lukaku's agent has been spouting off about how he wouldn't have joined Everton had they been working together before he joined Everton, if that makes any sense. And I do think that later down the line, I think Lukaku's eventually going to leave, probably for a bigger club. I mean, he would fit in at any of the top four. Well, I, top four is such a loose term nowadays, isn't it? <laughs> I'm so used to saying that. But, um, you know, Man United, even if Arsenal were to gamble on actually taking a big money forward, he would fit in perfectly there. I do think that it's only a matter of time before he goes. And I think that with their new signing, perhaps he's been brought in now to maybe bed in, share the load with Lukaku for a little while until they actually do sell him and then take over as the first choice. That would be my suspicion. Obviously, I, I get the point about um, being a buy for the future. I think that's not a bad shout at all. But even so, you, you've got to think there were better avenues for the club to explore this January. Yeah, I certainly think priority-wise, and they should have been going after a defender, but it is what it is. I mean, a point to this, uh, Neasse, there are often quite good strikers that come out of Russia. You know, you've, there's a few, and I'm sure that we'll mention another one later in the uh, later on at Newcastle, but it tends, the Russian Premier League tends to have quite a lot of good strikers, so maybe he will be a success. What other deadline day transfers were there of note? I mean, there wasn't... It was one of those, it was a lot of bluster and then, and then just very little going on. There was... As you said, there was uh, movement at Newcastle. It wasn't Saido Berahino. Obviously, it wasn't Saido Berahino, but it was um, Sado Dumbia in from Roma on loan. I'd say that's quite a good signing. I'm going to stick out and say that's quite a good signing. You just mentioned a minute ago about players, strikers coming out of the Russian Premier League. He's obviously not come directly from Russia because he's owned by Roma, but he was on loan at CSKA Moscow from Roma, having played for CSKA for the previous few years. So I'm going to classify him as a Russian Premier League striker based on that. But he's actually got a really, really good record scoring goals in Russia and in European competition as well. He was playing for CSKA earlier this season against United in the Champions League, and he was a thorn in, in the side in that game. I think was it he started one game and then was um, unfit and had to play the next game as a, as a late sub and didn't have quite the same impact. But he was really, really good in that first game against United. And he's, he's been scoring goals ever since he has been playing in Europe. He started his professional career randomly in, in the Japanese second division. But um, when he moved to Switzerland for young boys in Bern, he scored a lot of goals and he carried that on when he went to Russia. And he didn't fit in in Italy. I don't know why something just didn't work out for him in Italy the second half of last season. But since he's gone back to Russia, he started scoring goals again. So it sounds like it should be a good signing. And Newcastle have lacked a reliable goal scorer for some time. I think people thought it was going to be Papi Cisse when he had that good run a few years ago. But he's never consistently fit enough to be in the team. And I think that maybe Dumbia is the answer. He's the one that they were looking for. They look like they're setting themselves up with a good team, to be honest. I mean, I 
compiled a list this week uh, in light of what happened in the transfer window of like winners and losers from the from the transfer window in England and Newcastle, one of my winners. I mean, I thought they had a good summer anyway, buying the players they had and maybe the, the malaise was a little bit carried over from last season whilst they just figured things out. They've got a really good team they've assembled. You know, if you were playing with it on Football Manager or something, you'd be like winning cops and things. <laughs> <laughs> that, that has no bearing on real life, but no one tells Sky Sports that. Perhaps they've still got weaknesses in the centre of defence and maybe that's in a, a situation for them to address in the summer. But in terms of goal scoring, they've got enough players now in, in various positions, creative and, and striker positions, that they should be able to score enough goals that will keep them in the division. You know, outscoring other teams is always a fun way to do things. I think that Newcastle will be a, a big winner from the transfer window. I think that Dumbia sort of encapsulates that whole thing. You know, it's, it was a good signing. They managed to pick him up when they, where they could have spent easily. They, they could easily have spent £25 million on Berahino if if West Brom had have let them. So uh, just to flip to the other side of that coin, any any particular busts that you can see, any particular moves from deadline day that maybe not what the clubs should have been going for? Or is it too early to say on, uh, you know, any player can surprise you? Uh, for me, I don't really have anything specifically from deadline day that came out as a bad deal for me, but there is one in particular over the course of the month which I just could, I can't get my head around it at all, and that's uh, Bournemouth's purchase of Lewis Graben for seven to eight million. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to get out of him. He's played eight Premier League games and scored once uh, in his career, and he's never had that good a strike rate anyway. He's got, say, a one in three championship scoring rate, and even less than that, like one in four in League One over the course of his career. So I appreciate that he probably isn't a first-choice centre-forward purchase for them with uh, Benicophobe coming in as well. Um, but that one didn't really make sense to me. That's pretty much it. I mean, I, I was going to mention Andros Townsend as well, but I, thinking of that, I mean, on his day, he's quite a good player. And as one-dimensional as he might be, I think he could do a good job for Newcastle. I mean, I tend not to look too much into transfer fees nowadays uh, around that kind of amount. I think he was bought for £12 million. But, you know, with, with the money coming into the Premier League and that kind of st- that kind of thing in the last few years and in the future... He might just give Newcastle that extra zest up front. Zest is the right word. I think one of the things with Townsend that's always interesting to consider is that you can kind of see him as a as a regular for Spurs over the last, well, you know, in the period when he was actually um, in vogue, but he's never played a full season of football. His big breakout season, 2013-14, he started 12 Premier League games. And that's the most he started in a season. You know, he, he's done very, very little in his career to ever suggest that he's someone who can do anything consistently. Over the last, let me see, over the last one, two, three, four, four Premier League seasons, he's scored five goals. And I bet he's had about 150 shots. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, he's also in that time put up three assists, which is... You know, it's not what you're looking for in a winger. He's quick enough and he's got a reasonable left foot. He could... I mean, it could be that playing regularly at Newcastle is the making of him. And the fact that he's not had uh, the game time to get into a real rhythm at Spurs is... um, has held him back rather than being an indication of him not being the top level talent. I, I just think there's there's a lot of concerns there if you're a Newcastle fan. I, I, I appreciate everything of what you just said, but I still feel like 
there might be concerns, but I think he still would be a good signing, as you said. Maybe playing regularly might be what makes him. I just think all the common sense will tell you that it's not a particularly good signing for Newcastle, but I just I think it is. I think he gives them a different dimension. I think it was a good sale for Spurs at the right time because he was obviously not going to have a future there in their new project. And I think it was just the right time for everybody. And I think that maybe a change of scenery, change of direction might just be what he needs to recapture that initial form that maybe is what had everyone get so excited about him in the first place. I do agree, though, however, he is one of these players that his reputation vastly outstrips his ability. But I still think he might be a good signing. Of course, he's, uh, he's come in to replace uh, another 12 million signing from about six months ago, Florian Tovan. Marseille have taken him back on loan until the end of the season and their coach, Michel, has uh, just casually in a press conference uh, stated that oh, he's not a player I asked for. I don't really want him. <laughs> so, welcome back. <laughs> he, he has said he's welcome, but um, this was speaking before they went on and signed Stephen Fletcher as well, which uh, the mind boggles. The coach said, I still need an attacker. Other players who have been spoken of to improve the team have not come. He's an interesting player, but I didn't ask for him. To be fair, he didn't do much at Newcastle, did he? I don't on... think we'll see him in the Premier League again. Based on that, uh, the bar's been set very, very low for Townsend, so <laughs> yeah. he's going to be a success if he just plays a few games and does a few things. Well, I mean, I think I think my favourite thing about the... Um, sorry, to so just take it back to the Tovan for a second. I think just comparing that to what the what their club statement on Fletcher was, which is one of the best... <laughs> one of the best things to ever come out of any football club. Direct quote, He will not leave you unmoved. He will not go unnoticed. Marseille has added a Scotsman to the mix, and if you know anything about the mentality of that people, you'll know that's good news. He may not be known as a technical player, but he is 1.85 metres tall. (laughs) 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 Which I think is is their very enthusiastic way of saying, actually, he's got (laughs) feet for a big man. Speaking of Sunderland now, I do have some... Not concerns, but just like you expected Sunderland to have really, with Sam Allardyce, because he's a guy that knows what he wants, to have really smashed the transfer window to pieces and, and got them players that will definitely keep them up, experienced players that perhaps he's managed before. Maybe that wasn't a go, because if he's going to bring his old Bolton team back together, he's looking at pretty much Joey O'Brien and, and Kevin Nolan, which is obviously not the route that anybody wants to be going down these days, unless he's going to get um, JJ Okocha out of retirement. Yes, please. <laughs> but just some of the players that they signed, you just wonder about them. It's, it seems like a bit of a... They, they possibly are good players. I mean, I spoke about Damien Doyle last week and said that that would probably be a good signing. But there was two in particular at Sunderland. We've already seen what Jan Kirchhoff had to offer. I mean, potentially he might be a good defender in the future for them. But these two others, uh, Lamina Kone and wabi kazri they're both coming in from france as untested unknowns so it's, it's a little bit of a gamble it seems to to be putting your faith of staying in the premier league on those two players because the players that they've let go like sebastian um, Coates and and fletcher are i'm not saying that they're good and they should have stayed i'm just saying that they they were experienced to a degree in english football so seeing players that you knew for unknowns and it is a little bit of a risk but it might be a risk that pays off maybe I'm doing Sam Allardyce a disservice by suggesting that it might have been a mistake. It's kind of the two clubs from the northeast doing the opposite of what you'd expect from them. It's um, it's Sunderland bringing in the random French, uh, the random players from France, yeah, and then Newcastle bringing in the 
you know, the Townsend, your Shelvies, your that, your solid English players, as it were. I hadn't really thought about it like that, but yeah, that's the kind of player that I would have expected Sunderland to go after because they're certainly not shy about spending money. They've proven that in the past few years. Maybe they've been burnt a few times. Maybe that's why they have changed their uh, their methods a little bit. But it just mm-hmm. surprised me, especially with Sam Allardyce as well, because he likes. He's a guy that likes experience. He likes. He knows what he knows, and that's what he likes. I am surprised that perhaps they've gone down the the unknown route a little bit, but maybe that's to do with the the setup at the club because there was a lot of criticism in the summer for saying that Sunderland have bought all these players that they bought, and it was nothing to do with the manager who was um, Dicabaca at the time. So maybe maybe he didn't have as much influence. Interesting. Certainly, say that Steve Harper is definitely a Sam Allardyce signing. I think Steve Harper is my favourite. I don't think he's the best signing of the window, but he's my (laughs) favourite. Just because it is what I think they would call on Twitter a massive banter. (laughs) (laughs) Did you see how they uh, initially discussed it? I think they saw each other at a wedding. (laughs) And uh, this was a few, I think it was back in the summer or something like that. And Sam just asked him how he was doing, whether he was fit and that kind of thing. And uh, just put the call in a few months later. Nice little tidbit for you there. I think some of the fans are a bit split by his arrival because some of them were like, "What the hell is that? What the hell have we done signing this forty-year-old third-choice goalkeeper for?" But I think Sunderland's goalkeeper situation has been a bit rough in the last few months, and I'm surprised that they let um, Pantilamon leave and kept Manone. I know that I think they probably see their future as being this um, Jordan Pickford, but I think he's probably a good signing for them anyway. And I think we've talked a lot about Steve Harper, possibly un- unwarranted, but yay, Steve Harper. Right, so just to just to move us on a little bit and uh, drag us towards some conclusions. So just a quick rattle off of best signings of the window. Scott, one man for you? I have two. I mentioned Charlie Austin a little while ago. Whatever the circumstances, I think he's a good striker. I think he'll score goals, and he already has on his debut. I think he'll get more. Um, but the other one is uh, Stephen Naismith. I think he could do a good job for Norwich. Um, I'm not sure if it will be enough to keep them up, but I think he's got goals in him too, and they could come at uh, crucial times. But obviously, they need to defend a lot better than they have been. So I'd, I'd pick those two, perhaps. Yeah, and and Imbula. I think Imbula will be a hit as well. It's, it's got to be one of the uh, got to be one of the first times that a striker's been sold just a couple of months after hitting a match-winning hat trick against the defending champions, isn't it? It seems so long ago that. I know, Jamie. Have you got a uh, you got one particular best signing? I was thinking about mentioning Stephen Naismith, uh, as Scott just said, but the one that's I wouldn't necessarily say the best signing, like the outright best signing, but the one that's certainly most intriguing for me at this point would be uh, Emmanuel Adebayor for Crystal Palace because if there was one player that fitted their needs, it's him. He was the only player available that could have like really filled that void that they had. It was a very specific need, and I think he is it. So. Based on the fact that he's always had a very good impact wherever he's been in his entire career, he's always hit the ground running. I would say that's a, a good signing, or certainly an intriguing one to see how he does. Obviously, he's not played for a good while, so he might be a little bit rusty, but I think his innate ability will sort of carry him through. Uh, mine's also added by all, so so to just um, pick that up from there, I've been been doing a little bit of digging around his situation. Obviously, he's got a a personal trainer he's been working with pretty much every single day since he left Spurs, dedicated to keeping himself in shape uh, to the point where he was having training sessions via Skype with the same guy while he was in London signing the contracts. It might take him a couple of games to get into the match awareness kind of uh, mindset, but I think in terms of fitness, he's going to be right up there pretty much straight away. And yeah, as you say, in terms of 
Um, and this is something I said in the summer with Arsenal signing Petr Cech. I think the the mark of a, a really, really good signing is strengthening your biggest weakness. And Palace's biggest weakness is, is far and away there. Strikers, they've got a, a bit of an issue between the sticks as well. But with one goal from their strikers all season, uh, and that being a penalty, you know, the wingers they've got, Adebayo should score for fun. He needs eight more goals to equal Didier Drogba as the highest African goal scorer in Premier League history. Chances are he'll do it in fewer games. Yeah, I mean, he's a genuinely great Premier League striker. And I'm, I absolutely cannot wait to see, uh, to see how he goes. He's in the side. Uh, he's certainly in the squad to play against Bournemouth tonight, uh, as we're recording. I wouldn't be surprised. I've, for what it's worth, I've stuck him in my fantasy team tonight. Thanks for the reminder. I haven't done that yet. But no, I, I agree. I think he'll be a good signing as well. He did set my mind. I hope he does go out there and get a few goals and earn himself a longer deal than he's got because I think he has got quality. He's still wants to prove himself. He's got targets in his mind, and I think Palace are the right club for him at the moment, probably. Yeah, and I think I think there is something to be said. For- Palace being the right club as well because you've got a number of players there at the moment who have been branded as as problem players in the past. You've got Wilfred Zaha, Jason Punchin, who um, they've both had reasonably notable fallouts with their previous clubs. And under Pardew, they've come on leaps and bounds. Adbayor, I think Jermaine Genus has come out and said in the last week or so, it's not that he's a difficult player as such, he's just very specific. Uh, he needs to feel support. And I think, I think Pardew will be excellent for him. Yeah, it's just, just just the little things like that that really, really build towards it being an absolutely cracking signing. I love Emmanuel Adebayor. He is my daily blend. Everybody needs one. Everybody needs one. Who's yours, Scott? I don't know. I was thinking this earlier when we had the conversation off air. Um, I don't think I have one. I will endeavour to pick one. You don't pick one, they pick you. Yeah, so I, I, yeah I, I guess so. I, I will find my, my love and... Uh, Announce it on a future podcast. Right, so that's uh, that's the best taken care of. Is there any any clubs transfer dealings that you're particularly disappointed with, guys? I know Jamie, you've got something to say on this. Well, for me, there were there was a few um, sort of no shows really, uh, a couple of different clubs. So we'll we'll address them one by one as they come. Uh, the first one, perhaps the most pressing one, would be Leicester. I'm not saying that them buying nobody was a bad move, but I think that if they have these genuine ambitions... I mean, they, they didn't buy nobody, they did buy three players. Right, sorry, um, rephrase that. They didn't buy a striker, which I think was like the, the, the one that people were sort of pushing them into. Um, they were heavily linked with Edda, the Italian one, not the Portuguese one. And then he went to Inter instead, and then it was supposed to be uh, Louis Gremi, and that didn't quite happen i don't know there was some kind of disagreement as to whether it would be permanent or alone and, and whatnot um but i think that they needed that little bit of an extra boost to sort of push them onto that next level just to keep them fresh keep them on their toes and and keep them there where they are i think that the other signings they made seem quite good yeah Demari gray and, and daniel amati seem like good signers and they signed that very young goalkeeper who will obviously be a, a development project but um, i think that perhaps the striker was where they were needing recruitment and they didn't manage to fill it i think whatever wherever they finish will dictate how they their approach this summer because if they are in the champions league i think they really will go to town and sign quite a lot of players i think it's unlikely they won't be in europe but if they're not i think that will dictate again how they how they approach things they might not do that much if they aren't in Europe. I think it's uh, it's important to keep it in perspective, though. I mean, nobody expected Leicester to be even be in the top half of the table uh, by this time of year. You know, they've 
they've done brilliantly. They're still well in the hunt for the title. They've got less games to play than everybody else around them. And no matter where they finish, I think the fans are going to be delighted with with their season as a whole. I mean, they were on, well, perhaps you consider them superior to Aston Villa before the season started, uh, but certainly neither club were uh, aiming much higher than avoiding relegation and Leicester of their opposite ends of the table. And, you know, Aston Villa can't even sign a player in the January transfer window. So you'd much rather be a Leicester fan than a Villa fan at the moment. Yeah, and I think on Villa not signing anyone in this transfer window, I think that's in a season... In a season full of low points, in a run full of low points, I think that might just about be the lowest. Remy Gard is barely bothering to hide the fact that he is absolutely fuming. I don't see him staying at the club much longer, certainly not from what he's said. I, don't, I certainly don't see him um, giving it another crack when they do go down. It's less a sinking ship as a ship full of people at the bottom of the ocean and they've just kind of not noticed where they are yet. It's a, it's a hopeless situation, isn't it? I mean, he was brought in to do a job. He probably didn't think that when he actually arrived, maybe deepest in his mind, that he'd actually be able to get them out of the mess they were in. Uh, and that's why he wanted to buy players in January. But at the end of the day, they have an owner there who's not even particularly interested in being at the club. He wants to sell the club. So it's just been reflected on in the winter transfer window on, on Villa's lack of action. To be honest, I wouldn't give them much hope and they'll probably be relegated by about early April I'd say at this rate even if their form has picked up a little bit in recent weeks yeah and frankly I don't see them I can see them selling up a lot of players in the summer uh, if there's any players who have any kind of reputation left intact and I don't think they're they're a candidate to bounce straight back up like Burnley yeah. are doing reasonably well this season I think Villa really start to slide now agreed with that I think it's a real shame but um, I don't think you can really blame Remy Gard for feeling this way, he obviously knew what he was coming into when he took over because they were already in, in a pretty bad situation. But he probably came in under the impression that he would get new faces, new players in January to try and fix it. And he's not. So you would question why they've decided against or, or were incapable of, of going after these players. Maybe maybe they've already resigned themselves to the fact that they will get relegated. And when I say they, I mean the the officials, the board, the the people who make the decisions, maybe they've already resigned themselves to the fact they will be in the championship. And so they don't want to be with players that are, are on Premier League wages that they needed to try and keep them up. Th- those are certainly the uh, the noises that are coming out of the club at the moment, yeah. Buying those players was ultimately going to be fruitless, so there was no point. And you can understand his frustration, but you can possibly also understand the view from the club, even if it's not what fans and what he, wants, what he the manager, uh, wants to hear. There's no way back for them. He's, he's probably more frustrated because they've actually picked up a few points in in more recent weeks after they uh, after he took a long time to get his first win since taking over. They've actually drawn a couple of games. Yeah, they were unbeaten in three. Well, that's the point. So maybe there was like a little bit of a little bit of something there that suggests if we just get a few new players, we might actually bridge this gap. That's the thing. There are enough players down in the mix that. You know, a couple of wins, they were right back in it. I mean, you've got to question whether they'd be able to get those couple of wins, but the the chance was there. And, you know, Gard said that he certainly wanted the club to have a look at uh, Doombia. Obviously, Newcastle got, and then um, Kasri, who went to Sunderland in the end. If your relegation rivals are going to beat you to players, they're probably going to end up beating you on the pitch as well. Not a true word spoken. <laughs> anyway, were there any more... Um, were there any more clubs with disappointing business you wanted to talk about? Any particularly yeah. close to your heart? More no-shows. And and it's an interesting one, but it's, it's Manchester United. They didn't sign anybody apart from 
reclaiming uh, Adnan Yanazai from loan, which doesn't really count as a new signing. The uh, fact is he really reclaiming though, or is it, or isn't it more just here having back? <laughs> oh, maybe it's a bit of both. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, I wasn't expecting big deals. We talked about it last week, and I don't think anybody was expecting big deals. But it was almost like it was an interesting one to see that they didn't sign anybody, especially after the manager said we'll probably try and sign a fullback after they had the the injury to Ashley Young and, and the injury to the other players as well. But then the rumours off the back of that, it was briefly uh, Mafia Debushi who eventually joined Bordeaux. And then there was a very brief rumour about Danny Rose at some point in the afternoon on deadline day, which, to be honest, at that point, it just sounded like United were going to be linked with anybody who's ever played fullback in their entire life. But um, none of them happened. And, and I wonder, I mean, people were annoyed, fans were annoyed, and I think there's it's always important here now to differentiate between what you would call fans and what you would call fans in air quotes. You know, the kind of people that like to brag to their friends, oh, my club's Man United and we win everything. And the ones that think that running a football club is like playing football manager or FIFA ultimate team, it doesn't really work like that. So that's, that's again, that's a whole other rant. The issue with not signing a fullback, it makes me wonder if perhaps they'd reassess the situation because when Van Hal said that, there was still about a week to go, uh, maybe more if I, if I remember correctly. There was still plenty of time for them to go out and get somebody if they really wanted to. So I perhaps wonder if the thing there was if they maybe reassessed the situation and perhaps felt that based on players, the, the fitness, they didn't need to. Because the, the, the reality was they actually have themselves covered in terms of numbers in every position at the back. It was just injuries that were causing the issues. So perhaps if they thought that they were going to get those players back sooner rather than later, there was no point pursuing another wage that you're going to have that's going to be then sitting on the bench or unhappy at some point in the near future. I've, I've heard that Luke Shaw is perhaps, I know this this is not an immediate one, but he's like closer to returning to training than, than he was before. So maybe it'll be like a, a couple of weeks earlier that he might be back running around and, and training and things. So maybe there is a positive development in a few of those sort of injury cases that's said to them, well, maybe we don't need to go after defenders anymore. Yeah, and certainly Damian, I think, was less seriously injured than it looked at first. I think there was a suspicion of uh, broken ribs and all sorts of nastiness, which, you know, at the end of the day, that just takes time to heal. There's not much you can do about that. But he's, yeah, I think he's back in contention to play tonight. You know, if you got him back, you've got not too long until you've got somebody else back uh, who isn't Cameron Borthwick-Jackson on the left. There's the emergence of uh, Guillermo Varela as well, I think, People sort of forgot about him because he was signed um, when David Moyes was manager and then he went on loan to Real Madrid's uh, Castilla team. Yeah, they, they do have six players who can play at fullback, sidelined. I mean, there's four four players, who, including Damian, who can play at right back and two who can play at left back, like Ashley Young and, uh, oh, well, three, Ashley Young, Marcus Rojo and uh, Luke Shaw. It, it must be to do with the fact that players are just around the corner from returning. Unless it was a short-term loan, I, I don't. Re- I didn't see any sense in the rumours linking Ricardo Rodriguez or any other 30 million, 20 million plus players with the with the club in the winter, in the winter window. Uh, I just didn't see much point in that. The injuries will clear eventually, and it just so happens that at the moment they've got injuries all in the same place. Well, while they're struggling, I appreciate that they're struggling, I don't think there were any particular other positions on the pitch that they needed desperately a strength and I mean Wayne Rooney's come into form recently scoring a few goals six in six now in all competitions yeah I mean perhaps he's rediscovered his form and perhaps he will lead a charge uh, in the second half of the season but 
it's it's more to do with how it's it's United style that's holding them back. It's not the lack of firepower they've got up front. They will inevitably go for bigger players in the summer, but it's not the right time at the moment. Speaking of Manchester and in the summer, there was one deadline day shock, and not so much a shock in uh, in terms of the news itself, I suppose, as much as the way it was delivered. Manuel Pellegrini just casually popping into the end of his press conference that, by the way, guys, I'm not staying on past the end of the season. Been chatting to the club, told him about a month ago, and then the club literally seconds later handing out a handing out a press statement saying, uh, yeah, and we're bringing Pep Guardiola in. Enjoy, enjoy your deadline day, lads. We're off to uh, we're off to the pub. Probably we're knocking off early. Stole deadline day. Yeah, they, they absolutely did. Obviously, I don't think anyone's saying it's not a brilliant move. You can kind of understand the timing if they wanted to avoid the speculation. I don't love the idea personally of um, of announcing the manager's departure. Well, there's still four competitions to challenge for it. There's obviously quite a lot of love for Pellegrini at the club. Could redouble their efforts and uh, make his last few months special, kind of like the. Uh, you know, you know you've got to take your dog to get put down in a week or two, so you give it a couple of steaks, take it to the park, everything else. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't love the timing, but I think the way Pellegrini's handled it has been, uh, has been absolutely superb throughout. I think uh, he's won over quite a lot of people. I never particularly cared for him. I, I didn't particularly dislike him. I just didn't. I was just entirely neutral to him. Um, but the last month, couple of months, the way that he and Jose Mourinho dealt with the respective rumours about their jobs, and then and then just building on that in the last couple of months, he's he's just been an absolute absolute class act. But it's like the polar opposite to Mourinho in the way that he handled the the pressure and things like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, he's really come out of this smelling like roses, hasn't he? To be fair to him, he's uh, from what I've read. I think it was actually at, at his request that they make it public. Yeah, that, that that's uh, that's the way that the statement sounded too. Yeah, um, the what that way it gives him. A bit of time to uh, be approached by other clubs. Obviously, he's been linked with Valencia from the start of next season. Even Chelsea have been thrown in there and United in the last twenty-four hours or yeah, so as yeah. well. I read today that um, that he does want to stay in the Premier League. Well, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? That'd be very interesting. But yeah, anyway, I mean, he'll have no no problem getting a job at all. As as far as I'm concerned, over the past over his spell at City, I mean, I've I've been overly critical of him for his tactics in big games. He's never been quite able to take them to that the final reaches of the Champions League. Perhaps he will do it this season. You, you don't rule them out exactly yet. It'd be a nice way to bow out, wouldn't it, if he won a quadruple and put all that pressure on Pep, just like uh, Jupp Heynckes did at Bayern. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the worst kept secret. It's been, in football, it's been that's, that quote's been bandied around over the last 48 hours or so. A lot but I think it's the right the right appointment at the right time, regardless of when they've announced it. I think Pep will take City on to that next level. I think it's probably his most challenging job. He's not going to have it easy, and I don't really get that argument because this division is very challenging. There's a lot of clubs on the same level as we, we, we've spoken about earlier on. And it'll be interesting to see how he copes against clubs that are traditionally more willing to sit back and defend against teams that dominate possession, I think. Most clubs in England are a lot better equipped to do that than in Spain and Germany. So I would say it's definitely the right man at the right time. Wouldn't guarantee success. We'll, we'll see other appointments and how, how that goes. Can you imagine what the, um, the rumour mill is going to be like, though, for the next four months? 
Well, we've already had the Messi one, haven't we? We've had the Messi one. We've had the Neymar one because Neymar said a couple of days before the appointment that if he could work under any manager in the world, it would be Pep. You knew that the Messi one was coming, but it literally took a matter of hours from the formal announcement to the rumour saying that City are going to pursue a £120 bid for Messi. And it's going to be like that every day, I'd imagine, for the next four or five months. But anyway, we're short on time now, just as the transfer window slammed shut at 11 o'clock on Monday night. So must our conversation about it. Once again, a shout out for the wonderful folks at p302.co.uk, the retro football merchandisists. Keep your eyes firmly glued to the 90min Twitter account. It's at 90min underscore football for a chance to win. That's it, though, for us for this week. We'll be back next week where uh, hopefully we'll be at full strength. Aiden will have uh, dragged himself away from watching his beloved owls. But until then, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Scott. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from Jamie. Goodbye. Goodbye, everyone.